0: Well, welcome, everyone. It's good to see you this weekend. And uh, thanks for being here. Uh, Just an encouragement, uh, in five weeks, the extension opens. So as you're looking for seats and filling up the cafe and uh, trying not to have fist fights in the parking lot, uh, know that two more services are going to open on Sunday morning. So there'll be two here on Gent Road and two over the extension. And so we'll go from four to six. And excited, that's becoming a reality. So. Look forward to it. I'm so excited. I, I fought a losing battle with a kidney stone yesterday. And so I feel so much better today. And last night, when I was talking to everyone, I was in pain and on drugs. So don't be surprised if there's a drastic reduction in the attendance of the church. Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened. But if you do start coming on Saturday night, Jesus will love you more, and you'll see your pastor on drugs. It's great. I'm going I'm to kind of keep that tradition going. It was fun. Uh, I don't remember it, but I liked it. And so <laughs> I encourage you to, uh, to do that. We're, uh, we're starting a series here uh, called Unstoppable. And what we're going to do for the next uh, few weeks is we're going to talk about what a church is and what it isn't. And if you've been at Grace for a while, uh, these are some conversations that we're revisiting. You're going you're gonna to remember this stuff. It's going to be that, oh, that's right kind of response. And that's exactly what we're looking for. We feel like we need to go down to these core things again and again and again, because we always are going to drift from them. If you've never, if you're, if you're newer to grace and, and uh, you're kind of checking it out, you're going you're gonna to have that, oh, that's their problem, like response, like that. You're going to understand like how we think and why we think, why we do what we do. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I hope that your response is, oh, that's what a church is. Like I, I thought it was just people got together and, and uh, had coffee on studies, that there's something bigger to it. Because th- being a part of the church is one of the great invitations of following Jesus. It's one of the, the most wonderful parts of being a Christ follower. And that gets lost a lot. And so by uh, defining it again, I hope you can kind of get a little bit of a, of a vision for it. So when you talk about the church, let's just kind of start at the beginning. When, when you first accept Christ as your Savior, Several things happen, right? So, so somewhere along the line, the idea is this. I'm a sinner. The Bible says that every human being's a sinner. We're born into it. So I'm a sinner. Along the line, usually somebody lets me know that. They, they look and say, you know what? You, you are a sinner and you've fallen short of the glory of God. You have broken God's law. We all have lied. We've all have stolen. We all have cheated. We've all had a lustful thought, right? So boom, 10 commandments. You just just nailed down four of the, of the 10 of them. OK, so we're all sinners. That sin separates me from God. And then hopefully along the line someone has said, but there's good news, there's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you. And while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And in dying for you, he died. It's called a substitutionary atonement. He died as a substitute for you. He never sinned. That allowed him to cover our sins, create forgiveness for us. So as a sinner, if I accept, the salvation offered from Jesus Christ to forgiveness of my sins, then the Bible, the, these are Bible words, then I will be saved. My sins will be forgiven. And then there are several word pictures the Bible uses of that. When my sins are forgiven, one of the things the Bible says is my heart will be washed whiter than snow. Another description the Bible says is that my sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. They're forgotten by God. So when I confess my sins, God is faithful, he is just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that moment that that relational interaction takes place, we we say it's becoming a Christ follower, it's being born again, it's getting saved, there's a bunch of different terms, they all mean the same thing. I realized I was a sinner, I realized Jesus was my savior, I asked him for the forgiveness of my sin and I received it. I repented of my sin and now I, I follow Christ. So when I receive Christ as my Savior then, a lot of different things happen at once. The, the, the big thing that we think about a lot is my sins are forgiven, right? That, that's a big one. And so that happens at that moment. I don't have to go get baptized, and I don't have to go take my first communion. I don't, that happens at that moment. It's a free gift. It's not by works, it's by grace given to me. Another thing that happens at that moment is I am, this is a Bible word. I'm, I'll say it, and then I'll, just, I'll tell you what it means. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit at that moment. So God comes at that moment and lives within me. The Holy Spirit of God lives within me. And so God is with me. I don't become God, God comes and lives within, we would say our hearts or my soul. And now God empowers me and helps me and shows me and leads me and convicts me of sin, all that kind of stuff. And that happens at the moment that my sins are forgiven. Another thing that happens that we, we often don't think of because of the way we're wired as North Americans, which isn't bad, it's not good, it just is. It's just the way we're wired, is at that moment, my sins are forgiven, I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and I become a part of the church at that moment. I become a part of, this, of, a, of a spiritual entity that God created at that moment called the church. I am called out by God, that's what the word church means. It means called out ones. I'm called out by God, and I join every other follower of Jesus Christ that's, that's on the planet. And then God taught us in the Bible to organize the church locally, right? So we would say, I, Grace Church is my church, perhaps you might, you might say, but in, in reality, Grace Church is a part of the greater church. We're part of the body of Christ, the family of God. So this is, this is a big deal. And it's something that we, as North Americans, sometimes struggle with because we don't think naturally. We don't think collectively as a people. We think individually as people. It's how we're raised. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. One of the, one of the great strengths of our culture is we think individually. We, we tend to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and go. One of the great weaknesses of our culture is that we think individually. We tend to pull ourselves by by the bootstraps and go. But when we bring that individuality into our relationship with Christ, that's where we run into some issues because my relationship with God is not just an individual relationship. It's actually a collective relationship because I am now a part of the church. If I bring my individuality to my interaction with the church, I'm not interacting with the rest of the church the way that God would have taught me to interact with the the rest of the church, right? So the Bible says that when I am saved, I I am given some uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, the gifts of the Spirit, the spiritual gifts, aren't meant for me, they're meant for us. They're to be given to the rest of the church. The Bible says that God forms the church. We talked about this some last weekend if you wanna go listen to it online. He forms the body of the church. He draws us together. It's a spiritual thing that's happening. It's not just something that that I've decided to do. Now, that's difficult sometimes as a North American because I don't think that way. When, When I think about church, I think about decisions that I've made. So I think, man, I, I like that church. I'm going to go to that church, is how we would tend to think. I like the music of that church. I, I, every week on the, on the, comment cards every week. We're like, hey, please, turn up the music and make the subwoofers better. You know, every week, and we're trying to oblige you. We know, right? So we, we like that. We might say, I like the speaking. I like the way Jeff speaks. It, it, even if he's not good that weekend, at least he's pleasant to look at, right? So I, I like that. Or I like the kids' programs, or I like the students' programs. So we, as North Americans, we think individualistically. Therefore, we tend to think of things as a consumer would think of something. I like this, therefore, I will participate in it. I li- th- you, this, this group of people, they do this for me, so I will do this for them. Um, I like these things, so I will give my money to it. That's a cause that I decided to support, is how we would, we would tend to think. Now, the problem is that when I come to a entity as an individual, that is not an individual entity. When I come to a group as a consumer that is in its DNA, a group that is meant to be given and I want to consume it, it's going to short circuit what a church is. So in North America, there are hundreds of thousands of churches and they are filled with millions of people. And those churches, if you opened up the roof of those churches and looked at those people, oftentimes what you're going to find is a building filled with consumers that would look and say, well, I like this church and this church is close to my house and I like the speaker and, and I like the music and I, I believe in it enough that I'll, I'll make it part of my charitable giving. That's a normal mindset. The problem is, is... When that church moves or does something that I don't like, what do we do? We leave it, right? And I'm I'm a consumer, I'm gonna go find something else that's going to give me what I want. When that mindset affects a church, then that church suddenly becomes powerless. Becomes powerless. It It becomes robbed of its vision. It really becomes unable to do much of anything and that church becomes irrelevant then because it's not functioning in the way that it was meant to function. The number one thing that faces the North American church, the, the number one hurdle that we have to overcome, is it's not atheism, right? I don't, I don't, there's no such thing as an atheist anyways, but it's not atheism. It's not Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnessism or Islam. It's not the deterioration of the culture. The number one thing that is the number one kind of challenge to the North American church is irrelevancy. So there are hundreds of thousands of churches with tens of millions of people in it, and then there's tens of millions of other people who don't care or know why those people are in that building. And hundreds of churches close every week. Every week, hundreds of churches close. And the closing of that church does not affect that community in any way, shape, or form. In fact, sometimes it's good news because churches have good locations and we can tear down, and put a parking lot on it or tear down, and put condos up. And the, the, the greatest benefit that that community feels to that church not existing is we got the land back and we can bring taxes into the community now. And the church of Jesus Christ has become that. People, people who get together, they wanna get their needs met, they look at their relationship with God and say it's not about us it's about me and so God I want you to give to me God I gave you 100 bucks where's my Mercedes see God I I gave you 10 bucks I get a flat screen out of that God I went to church are you gonna heal me now see God you do for me and and you'll have people on television and they'll say the the greatest thing you can do is let God make you happy because you being happy is what makes God happy if you can find that in the Bible, I will sign my house over to you this afternoon. It's not there, but we think that way. God, I do for you, and you, you give to me. Now when you bring that mindset then into the Bible, it makes the Bible irrelevant. So in the Bible, you've got God making these, these grand proclamations about his church, but our definition of church is everything that I just described. So you go to like Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, where Paul says his intention was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So the idea is this, that through the church, the church is where truth is proclaimed, the church is where God is defined, the church is where love is demonstrated, the church is where uh, uh, forgiveness happens. If you wanna know about God, watch the church and the church will explain and teach you about God. But if I go to church and my whole interaction with churches, man, I, I wish they had different music. Man, he wasn't even funny this weekend. Can't believe it. Dumb kidney stone, right? See, if it, if it's, where is the pro? I didn't come to church to be a part of proclaiming the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. I just, I'm not happy with what just happened. You get a proclamation like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, where he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The whole idea of that, of that passage is that the gates of hell are being attacked by the church. Well, that feels very differently than when I go to church and the church is saying things like, guys, if you don't give, we're gonna have to, you know, we're gonna go out of business. Guys, listen, the, 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 the culture's collapsing. We all gotta huddle around our kids and try to keep the yucky people out. We have to survive. The bad guys are going to get us. we got to survive. And Jesus is saying, eh, the church of, my church attacks, and they're victorious, and they're going to overcome evil, and they're going to they're free the captives from hell. It's a lot different than, hey, can you give 20 bucks so we can get the air conditioner fixed? All of a sudden, there's this irrelevancy, and we would read the Bible, and we would say, well, that's, that's not even, that's not true. I mean, that's not the way it works. That's just Jesus being all amped up about something. Because we've made the church something that it's not. And as a part of the church, we view ourselves in a way that is, is very different than the way that God would view us. And let me show you an example of this in the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, grab them and turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter six, in the Bible's in the church, it's page 169, and if you're electronic, we use the U version app. Judges chapter six, and there's another group of people. These are two separate groups of people. There was a group of people in the Old Testament, group of people in the New Testament. They're both called the children of God or the ones called out by God. In the Old Testament, they were the Israelites, the Jewish people. In the New Testament, it's the church. So this is another group of people. These two groups of people function differently, but they share this in common. They're both identified as the people of God. Both groups have been given the promises of God. God said to the Israelites, hey, listen, you follow me, you love me, I'll go before you. Anywhere you go, whatever you do, I'll make you victorious in it. Both people are called out by God. The Israelites were called God's chosen people, I looked at all of humanity and I chose you to have a special relationship with me. I grant you, Israel, a special authority. You, Israel, have, have, have a special place in my heart. You, Israel, there's promises that apply to you, Israel, that don't apply to the rest of, of humanity because you and I have a special relationship. These are the people of God and they are in a very desperate place in Judges chapter 6. They're being oppressed by a culture that's pressing in all around them. And the culture is people called the Midianites and the Amalekites. In verse 2, chapter 6, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, cages, uh, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. Verse 6, chapter 6, Midian Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So the Israelites were trying to survive. They were trying to thrive. They would try to plant their crops. Every time they would get a crop to go and start to grow, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other people surrounding them would come in and say, thank you very much. And they would just take all their crops. And it impoverished the people, and it made them powerless, so much so that they're hiding in caves. They're hiding in holes. They are surviving. They're surviving. They're not thriving. And these are the people of God. They cry out to God, and he shows up in verse 11 and talks to a guy named Gideon. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under a tree, the oak tree, where Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So you got to get a little cultural context here. In the ancient world, wheat or crops was currency, right? So you would grow your crops, you would survive off of those crops, and then you would also barter and trade with those crops. So a bountiful crop meant a thriving economy, a bountiful crop meant a free people, a bountiful crop meant health and peace and wellness. The Midianites would steal that from the Israelites. So here is Gideon threshing wheat. You would grow wheat. You would take it to a stone. You would hit it against the stone. The chaff would fly away. The kernels would fall to the ground. You ground it into a flour, and you would survive or trade it. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now this is a very curious thing that Gideon's doing because you would normally thresh wheat on the threshing floor. And a threshing floor would be a big stone area, probably the size of this room, where you would have thousands of bushels of wheat being threshed by hundreds of workers. And the threshing floor being busy, it would be like our factories being busy. It would be like a sign of a thriving, prosperous people. Because there's plenty of food to eat and plenty of food to do commerce with. And all of these people threshing on this big floor is a sign of that. Gideon is threshing wheat and a wine press. And a wine press would have been smaller than this little platform that I'm standing on here. And what he's doing is this. Gideon had probably snuck out at night, found some wheat that the Midianites dropped. He's hiding, and he's threshing the wheat in the wine press, hoping that the Midianites don't get him. He's trying to survive. He's trying to get some grain together, some flour together for his family to eat. And in that context of hiding and surviving, God shows up and says something really curious to him in verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I'm hiding in a wine press trying to survive. The Lord is with you, Mighty warrior. What the Lord should have said is, Jesus loves you, scared little wine-pressed chicken boy. (laughs) Because that's what Gideon's doing. And the Lord, that's what Gideon thought of himself. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That phrase so captures or stuns Gideon that he says in verse 13, pardon me? What? What did Jesus say? Pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us over to the hand of Midian? Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? That am I you should circle. Am I not sending you? Verse 15 again. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh. And I'm the least of my family. This is what's happening. Chicken little hiding winepress boy, mighty warrior, what? See? You're going to go save the country. I'm, I'm God. I, I told you to go save the country. You have abandoned us. Don't you see? We, we are surviving. We're not thriving. God says, you go do what I said, am I not sending you? That word, am I, that phrase, is is one of the names of God. And Gideon would have recognized that because that is the same thing that God said to Moses. And Gideon would have known this. Am I not sending you? And Gideon says to God, I'm not Moses. I'm the the weakest in my clan, I'm of the least, I'm not Moses. I'm going to set the people free through you, Gideon. You're going to do Moses stuff? You want me to go and talk to the Pharaoh? You want to do miraculous things through me? I'm not Moses. And God says, I am doing it. Go do what I ask you to do. And finally, in verse 16, he says, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I'm going to work through you to set them free. I didn't, I didn't say you are gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. I didn't say you're gonna have, you're gonna do something supernatural, I'm gonna do something supernatural. All you have to do, ready, catch this, write it down. You have to remember who you are. You are my chosen people. You were given all the promises from, I promised you the same power and authority that I promised Moses. I have not changed, you're the one hiding in a a wine press. And I am just reminding you what you were called out for, what you were called to, who you worship, who you serve, who goes before you. I didn't call you out so you could survive. I called you out so that you could thrive and my name and my glory would be brought to bear. The group of people in the New Testament that these same types of promises are made to is the church. God doesn't look at me as an individual, you as an individual and say, you know what? I'm gonna prosper you. You you put $100 in a basket, you get a new Mercedes. New car for everybody, right? God doesn't look and say, you know what? You ask in my name and I will make you well. It's not this prosperity nonsense that's on the television. God is looking at his church and he's saying, you, you, collectively, you, my church will attack the gates of hell and will overcome it. My church church can ask anything in my name and I'll do it. My church has been given power and authority from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to empower my church. You sometimes, individually, as a part of this collective entity called the church, and I will glorify myself, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known through my church, not just through you as an individual. When we lose sight of that. When we think individualistically, when we think like our culture, it, like I said, it's not, it's not bad, good, evil, wrong. It just is. It just is the way we're raised. It's no big deal. But the Bible supersedes all of that. So when we think like our culture, we approach church, and we think in a consumer way or an individualistic way, we rob the church of its power and authority. We, we will never be what God has called us to, to be or do what God has called us to do if we think that I'm the only one God's ever talking to. Because when I was saved and when I was indwelt with the Holy Spirit, I also was woven into the church. And we function as a whole, we don't function as a collection of individuals. I love this illustration Ezra came up with a few years ago. He he said, this is the way that we tend to think as a church. Let's just say this is a five pound box of nails. By the way, this counts as my workout today. Crossfit, what? Right, so (laughs) this is what I'm doing. He said, this is the way that we tend to think. We tend to think, well, there's five pounds of steel here. And he said, even when we're trying to think as as a unit, As a church, we're trying to follow Jesus. We we still tend to think of, I am an individual thing that comes and gets put into the same box with other people. So I come to church, but I think as a North American. So I come to grace because it's close to the house. Or I come to grace because I like the kids' programs. Or I come to grace just because I like the view when Jeff's talking, right? I, I come for my reasons, and I have chosen it, and so I'm a customer that, in essence, is consuming a service. And, and yeah, I, I like the other nails in the box. We all hang out in the same box. This mindset is actually not a biblical mindset. So this is what happens. Because I think like this, I think I leave the box at the end of the service. And even if I wanna serve Jesus, I, don't, I think of myself as an individual. So I think things like this, like, um, People need to know Christ, the gospel needs to be spread, so I'm going to tell people about Jesus, and here is this gate of hell, this stronghold, and, and I don't like it, I know God doesn't like it, so I am going to do something about it, I'm going to attack the gate of hell. See? I don't, the culture is degrading, so I'm going to do something about it, I'm going to... Go to the greatest a- agent of social change ever, the thing that really makes a difference that everybody knows will change your life, Facebook. And I'm going to put a, f- a post on Facebook. I, there's hungry kids. I'm going to I'm gonna skip Chick-fil-A. I have to because it's Sunday. And, and I'm, going to, <laughs> I'm going to feed the hungry. This is what we do. I, Jeff said, tell my family, they're my first neighbor about Jesus. I'm going to tell my family about Jesus. I personally am going to overcome my struggles with purity, and I, by myself, am going to defeat pornography in my life. Now I'm really serious about it. I'm going to get Jeff involved. And nothing happens. And so even for us, we'll eventually look and say, I'm not sure this stuff works. I don't know if this works. I mean, it's all this stuff in the Bible. It doesn't show up in my life. I mean, I even tried. right? I, I, I even tried my best. And I attacked the gate of hell. And again, it didn't even budge. I bounced off of it. So I don't, I don't even know if I believe in this given all power and authority through the Holy Spirit to the church. What? Because we think like this. It will just put a bunch of us in a box, and this is the church. Well, this isn't what God had in mind. When God thinks about his church, he thinks about this. God would say, no, 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 no. I'm not trying to collect a bunch of individuals into a box once a week. I am forming something new. When you accept me as your savior, you don't become a member of Grace Church. You don't become a giving unit and an attendance figure. You are grafted, forged into a new entity. You are a part of the whole. Same five pounds of steel, but formed differently, formed into one thing. You are a family. You are a body. And the reason that you are here is because I have a vision for the church. Beyond just your life, I have a vision for the church. And I need you to be grafted into this five pounds of steel. Because in order for this to be effective, you need to be a part of it. And by the way, for you to be effective, you need to be a part of it. The church needs you, and you need the church. As I share my life and allow other people to share life with me, as we think collectively, not individualistically, it is the promises of God. The gates of hell will not overcome this. All power and authority is given to this. And so when I move out and attack the gates of hell, I'm going to bounce off. But when the church moves out and attacks the gates of hell, it's not going to stand. This will be victorious. You, you're going to burn out. So what do we do here? Because it it's so critical to always remember that, that is what a church is. A church does social justice things. A church does organize it. A church, we have a building. The reason we have a building is not because a building is the function of a church. We have buildings because it's freezing outside most of the year here. That's it. We, we put a roof over our head because we... We live in Northeast Ohio, and I know we don't know why, but we do, <laughs> right? That, that's, a, that's what a building is. It's, it's a function, it's a utility. It's not where the power and the life and the vibrancy and the relevancy of the church is found. Why do we, why do we have pastors and elders and teachers? Why? Well, because God told us to. We're not organizing a religion. We're, we're, we're doing, like literally the Bible says do these things. Okay, we're gonna do these things. Why, why, do, we, why do we organize ourselves to make sure we're cared for? Well, because the Bible said to do that. See, we're function, the function of the church comes right out of the Bible. It, it, the function is not the power of the church. The function is a result of the unity that God has called us to. Now this is a big, big deal here at Grace. Because if you you don't think of the church, Grace Church, through this paradigm, it'll never make sense to you. If you think of Grace Church through the individualistic paradigm, we'll eventually do things you don't like. Because Grace doesn't exist to please its customers. We exist to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, which is what Jesus told the church to do. So when we make decisions and we move, we're gonna move off a set of assumptions that's based in that paradigm. I I was meeting with a group of people this last week and they're having problems. They're uh, people who love Jesus and they have a, a... an organization that they're trying to help survive and they said, Hey, would you come down and give us your opinion? And I said, sure. So I went and I spent the day with them and they said, This is what we this is our history, this is what we do, this is what we're trying to do. And and we want to rearrange these things to get this different outcome. What's your opinion to this of this? And I said something very profound, meaningful, probably life changing. I said to them, I said, you don't bring a cat to a horse show. That's right, think about it. I said, you don't bring a cat to a horse show. And they said, what? They said like you, what are you talking about? Is he still on his medicine? Is it a kidney stone? <laughs> I said, I said you, you've got the wrong DNA. You want to pull a plow and you have a cat. It's not going to happen. What you, you have the wrong DNA to accomplish what you need to accomplish you're thinking completely wrong. So rearranging and re-presenting and re-strategizing the wrong thing will not get you the right outcome. You must shift paradigms. Looking and saying, how can I please my customers better? Will that attract young people and make us vibrant as a church? No, it'll make you look ridiculous going over here and saying we don't even ask those questions. We ask how do you reach a lost and dying world for Jesus because the church exists for the world, it does not exist for the church. How do you do that? Going over here, they, they said to me well we have financial problems and, and we want, if we rearrange this we'll make our financial problems go away and I said you don't have financial problems, you have vision problems. There's no such thing as financial problems. There's vision problems. If people believe in what you're doing, they'll give their money to it. They said, well, you're a great fundraiser, Jeff. Would you raise some money for us? I said, no. I said, I won't do that. They said, well, you don't seem like you ever apologize for asking people for money. I said, I don't. They said, why not? I said, because I assume that the cause and the vision and the heart and the passion of Jesus is the best thing you could ever spend your money on. I never apologize for it. I'm assuming, since you're the church, you would think that way. See, there's assumptions that are made because of who we are and what God has called us to do. I assume that the greatest invitation a human being will ever have is to be united in the church of Jesus Christ. I assume that that invitation is more important and more life-giving than being Buckeye Nation I assume that that invitation is more important, and more life-giving than any career path you would ever have. I assume that changing people's eternal destiny to the glory and honor of the creator and the sustainer of the universe should be top line of my resume. I think that is a blast, right? Why do you think that way? What is this new teaching? It's just the church. I, I assume that giving your life to the cause of Jesus is the greatest thing you could ever give your life for. I I assume that, that pursuing what is Jesus's passion, mission, vision, and plan, if I'm a follower of Jesus who's united with him, it would be my passion, mission, vision, and plan. I'm assuming that, see. I'm assuming that His cause and His glory is much greater than my preferences. Why? Well, that's what the Bible says. And guys, that's why we're here. The the reason that we are talking this weekend about the gospel of Jesus Christ is because the church of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem forward has always made these same assumptions. They have always assumed, the true church of Jesus Christ has always assumed that we receive the good news of Jesus and the grace of Jesus not for ourselves. We assume that we've received it so it can be given to others. You go back in the church history, you don't find the prosperity gospel. And if you do find it, you find a remnant of people who have turned away from it and rejected it. And they are the ones who kept promoting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There's people all throughout history. The reason that we're talking about Jesus today is because somebody walked away from their security. Somebody walked away from their business. Somebody spent all their money and they got on a boat and they floated across the ocean and they started telling people in very dangerous circumstances about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you trace your spiritual lineage back in detail, if you could go individual by individual, individual, I guarantee you, I promise you, somebody died so that you could know about Christ. I promise you that's the case. Because the church has always looked to say, why do we exist? We exist to take the good news of Christ to a lost and dying world. We don't exist for our own comfort, we don't exist for our own benefit. I will give my money, I will give my time, I'll give my freedom, I'll give my prosperity, I'll give my security, I'll give my blood in order to promote this gospel because I'm a part of the church of Jesus Christ, which means I live in a no-lose situation. Best case scenario, somebody hears the gospel of Christ and responds to it becomes a follower of Jesus. Worst case scenario, I get burned at the stake for it. Either way, people either love Jesus or I get to be with Jesus who I love. I'm in an no lose situation. That's the way the church has always thought. That's what the church is. And if that had not been the mindset, we literally would not know about the gospel. This has always been what drives Grace Church. That's why if folks have been here for a while, they're like, he's doing that church talk again, right? Because I remind us of this all the time. This is what we do. And our preferences will never drive Grace Church. If you come to me and say, well, Jeff, you know, I'd really like it if uh, you wore a suit and tie. And I'd be like, you know the difference between a tie and a noose? There isn't one, right? So I'm not doing that. I really, do you, you wear those flip-flops to be trendy? No, you wanna know why I wear flip-flops? Let me tell you, I'm gonna let you know in a little secret. You know why I wear flip-flops? I hate socks, that's it, that's the whole truth of it. Why don't you have them on this weekend? Cause I did this illustration and the brick broke and hit my toe and it hurt, so I put shoes on. That's it, <laughs> that's it. Why is the music so loud? Why is the subwoofer throws off the rhythm of my heart? First of all, you're welcome. Secondly, <laughs> because we're trying to connect with an unchurched 24-year-olds, and unchurched 24-year-olds come to concerts, they don't come to sing-alongs. Well, I've been a believer forever. Well, then you should be mature enough to let us do that because this is the call, this is the vision of Christ. And all we're doing is trying to please him, follow him because we love him. And if you, if you grab that, you'll love grace, because we're always going to do that. If you don't grab it, you'll hate us in about six months, because everything that's happening now will change in six months. And that's always the passion of grace. We're always going to be broke, always, because we're always going to be pushing. We're always going to be unsettling something. Oh, it just got normal, now you're break. Right, always. Because it's always got to change. We're always going to be saying, come on Saturday nights. Go to the extension. Why? Because we need, to, we need to keep reaching people. This is what we, it's, it's the horse at the horse show. It's what we do, it's the DNA of the church, see. Now guys, it's always so critical that we remember that. Church is not a consumer product. Church is not a trend. Church, church, church is not how do you get more customers in. That's nonsense. The church is something that, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am grafted into. It's a spiritual thing that happens. The gathering of the church is something that God directs. This is straight out of the Bible, straight up, chapter, verse. God directs. not something we create. Something that God directs. And the church is an entity that proclaims Christ to his glory and to his honor. We're We're not an entity that works to make people happy never have been and why is grace driven this way why am i so passionate about this see why all these campuses why these missionaries why why do we need more money why why jeff why because it's been done for us it's why we're here it's just our leg of the race it's what we do it's what a church is So God says, you're my followers on the planet, this little slice of time, this little piece of dirt, do what you are, Gideon. Get out of the wine press and go pick a fight. Am I not sending you? Did I not give you power? Did I not give you authority? Is this not my idea? So go be... The church. All right, bands gonna come out and as they settle in and lead us in some reflective time, guys, the church is a sum total of its individual parts. So the degree to which we process this personally is the degree to which it shows up corporately. So we have to own it, right? And so here's some, here's some things to, to work out, right? How do you view the church? How do you view the church? Like personally? And for some of us, we forget this. For some of us, we never heard this before. We're like, I I, I thought church is where I had to go with grandma in order to get her to take me to Winking Lizard, right? So it's fine. Here you go. It's it's what the church, I just told you. It's what the church is. How do you view it? Second thing, it gets more personal as you go. Second thing, pragmatically. If we, were gonna, if we were gonna take you to court and the evidence of your interaction with the church was gonna prove your heart toward it, pragmatically, how do you view the church? When you think about what's on the top of your priority list, when you think about what gives you joy to invest in financially, when you think about signing up to be someone who goes and not someone who always stays. And by the way, the church, there's always been some that go and some that stay. Right? Because you advance and you hold. It's, it's fine, either way, but to process it through, God, I'm a part of your body, what role do you want me to play? How much is that question at the forefront of your mind? See? And then on a very deep level, as much as I would think through my salvation, and maybe with some maturity, as much as I might think through the leading of the Holy Spirit, I would think through the church. It's all right there, same line. I think through the church. Who do I share my life with? Who do I allow to share their life with me? What, what cause do I support that doesn't benefit me? How do I proclaim the truth? See how that works? Since we spend some time just singing, would you think, would you process, would you, would you give the Holy Spirit a permission to kind of bang around and really loosen some stuff up, change your mind, transform your thoughts? And would you talk to God and pray and ask Him and thank Him that you get invited to be a part of something that's unstoppable?